Our passage this morning is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, so we're going to read that together. If you would take the time now and find that, Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 13. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a couple up here that you can, you can have. Um, you can use it today, and you can keep it, but if you have it on your um, Bible in front of you, or if you have a device that has God's Word, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. We're in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. Give you a second to find it. Will you please stand as we read God's word together? We do this um, because we want to acknowledge that the words that we're hearing are not our words, they're God's words. And if they're God's words, they have some weight. Right? They should, our lives should be shaped by them, so we stand and acknowledge that together. So follow along as I read Mark chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 14 through 31. I'll read aloud, and you can read silently. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back or take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, To the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if this is your first time gathering with us, welcome. You picked a doozy. (laughs) We have been in the Gospel of Mark uh, for over a year and a half now, and we've been just walking through, looking at Jesus' life, listening to his words, seeing the way that he treats people and sees them, and uh, you hear so much of what we call doctrine or teaching. And it can't get any truer than what Jesus says. But then you also see practice. You see the way that Jesus actually embodies all of that truth as he interacts with people. And so it's been a sweet time in God's word. It's also um, been challenging. And so this week we jump into this, the middle of what we call the Olivet Discourse. Um, I'm going to throw out some things today, and you're going to say, I don't really know what that means, and it's okay. 
Okay, it's all right to not know what it means. And then we get to go back throughout the week and through, through text messages or phone calls or community group or just gathering for coffee and discuss what does that mean? Like, how does that affect my life? And so we get to do that together. So we don't have to get it all in this uh, 30 minutes right here. So some of what we're going to do today in our participation is just to hear and listen. Um, some of it is going to be to to really focus on what Jesus is saying because he's the one that's speaking. And that's what we want to hear. We want to hear the words of God to us today. And so I pray that we would hear it. This is the second week that we've been in this discourse. So it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is talking, and so that's that's the discourse piece. And he's on the Mount of Olives, and he's he's actually left the temple, and he's taken Andrew, James, and John Peter, Andrew, James, and John with him, and they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they've asked Jesus when, uh, they, they talked about the temple and how beautiful it is, and Jesus actually gave a declaration. He gave a judgment and said that that temple is going to be destroyed. Every, every brick, every rock is going to be destroyed. And they're thinking, that's, wait a second, that's your temple. Like, you are God of that temple. And yet, in that temple was this, this false practice so there was some true practice. We have to believe that. That there was a remnant of what was going on, that there were people who were truly, truly worshiping God in right ways in that temple, but so much of it was not. And Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and other, other people that were gathering there. And he said, listen, your, your practice is false. It's this outward appearance of what is beautiful, but inside it's ugly and broken. And he even did that with the temple, because now the disciples are like, man, that temple is beautiful. And he's saying, yeah, but inside it's broken. There's a better thing. We've already talked about it. Jesus is better. He is the better temple. And so last week we heard... Uh, the disciples asking, well, when's that going to happen? And Jesus gives some very general things, not pointing to when the actual destruction would happen. And here we kind of get this, this switch where Jesus begins to tell them exactly when this is going to happen. And I'm thankful to uh, Pastor Jeremiah who preached on this last week at Pinita, and he's, he's just done a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, and so he's shared a lot of that with me, and I'm thankful for that. But what we have here in Mark 13 is, um, is a challenging passage. So challenging that many people disagree on how it should be interpreted. Like many Bible-believing, Bible-practicing people have disagreements about what this means. It's good news for us, right? That we can have the same foundation and still disagree on some things. And God is still God. It doesn't mean that He is not God and He is not true. So I'm just thankful for that, even as we walk through this this morning, and I pray that we would hear Jesus. Pray that we would see him as we look at what he's saying. We look and see the compassion that he has for Peter and Andrew and James and John, knowing that this, this thing is coming, and his heart is broken for them, and it's an actual warning, like this thing's coming, and you need to see when it comes, and then you need to get out of there, because it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be the judgment of God against false religion. So let's look at what Jesus says, and I pray that we, we desperately need the Holy Spirit today. So we're going to ask that he would do what only he can do to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray with me, Lord, we just thank you. God, I thank you that throughout the world, your gospel is being proclaimed. 
Lord, and it's being proclaimed by someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit to a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit so that truth is actually being heard. God, would you do that miracle here today? God, and as we hear, will we not be hearers only, but will we be doers? Will we be changed? Would our, our lives, our hearts, our emotions, our priorities, would all of that be shaped around your priorities, around your heart. God, we can't do this, but you can and you are. And so Lord, I pray that even, even as we go from here and we begin to see those changes or, or continue to see those changes taking place, that we would rejoice and praise a God who saves, a God who changes, a God like, unlike any other. Lord, thank you for the words that were recorded from Jesus. Thank you that Mark wrote them down and sent them to a people, God, and that we get to read them today. Lord, may we trust you and love you in Jesus' name. We pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Um, What's going to be important here is context. Context is important. I was reminded of how important context was when we sat down as a family to watch Obi-Wan Uh, on Friday, and I'm not going to spoil anything, I know it just came out, Um, but if you are a Star Wars fan, and you want to, you don't need need context to jump right into Obi-Wan, but if you are not, and you're just a Disney Plus fan, and it just popped up, and you're like, man, I'm going to watch that, the good news is that they recap all nine episodes in like a minute and a half. Like the whole Star Wars story so that you can have context about what is going on, who is this Obi-Wan, and why is he even important. So, context is important. Jesus and, and what he's saying to us has a context that we miss because we live in 2022 in America and we are not in the same context that Peter, Andrew, James, and John are in when they're hearing this spoken to them. And we're not in the same context that Jesus, as, as a, as a um, righteous and God-following Jew, would have. And we're not in the same context that the readers that Mark's writing to would have. So, like, we, we have a lot of work to do just to, to understand the context of what Jesus is saying here. If you're at all familiar with this, uh, this passage of Scripture... You might know that there's a lot of people that think that Jesus is talking about the the end times, um, about the second coming of Christ. And and the argument today would be that actually in in this passage, in these verses, Jesus is talking about this coming and what he has done to replace the temple and that that temple as an outward sign that Jesus is better is going to be destroyed and judged And then we have this privilege of, in 2022, being able to look back and seeing at 70 AD that temple was actually destroyed. And so when we hear Jesus' words, I want you to hear the kindness of God to his people. I want you to hear the way that he speaks to Peter, Andrew, James, and John and, and warns them and says, hey, listen, when this is happening, you've got to go. Otherwise, you will be part of that judgment, part of that destruction. So you need to leave. But to hear that context, we've got to know our Old Testament Scripture. Jesus knew Old Testament Scripture, so a lot of the language that he's using here, he's using from the Old Testament. It's 
It happens every week. There's something that happens every week. And so if that's it, we're good. Context. Jesus knows Isaiah. As Mark begins to write down this gospel narrative of who Jesus is, his second verse in Mark 1 verse 2 actually points to as it is written in Isaiah. So he's assuming that not only does Jesus know the context of the Old Testament, but the hearers also would know the context of the Old Testament. That's the the church in Rome that he's writing to. And so when Jesus says these things, a lot of the illustrations that he's using are taken straight from Old Testament prophets. From Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and many others. And and I didn't plan this, but we're going to be going through the minor prophets in the fall, so stick around. Right? This should wet our whistle for, hey, what are we going to get into? We're going to get into those prophets. We're going to get some more context So that when we read these words of Jesus, we're like, man, that's beautiful. That's powerful what he's saying there. So we have the context of the Old Testament, which is what the disciples used to interpret Jesus' words. And there's a a pause here because what we'll do is we have the context of the New Testament also. We have the context of Revelation. And sometimes we take Revelation and we point back to what Jesus says and we begin to interpret it through that. But that hasn't been spoken yet. That hasn't been shared to the disciples yet, so they're not looking at it through that lens. Are you tracking with me? They're, they're looking at the, the, it through the lens of what they do know, and what they do have is Old Testament Scripture. Now, the beauty of it is that Old Testament Scripture is shaping what Jesus says to them, and it's going to shape what the Apostle John is going to write down in Revelation. But we can't take this later thing and then point back and try to lay these layers of, of what that means on what Jesus is saying to the disciples, on the Mount of Olives, right now. So we have the context of the Old Testament, which is what Jesus and his disciples are both immersed in. And then we have the context of the first century church in Rome. Jesus is warning them. Their life is not easy. It's really hard. They don't have a choice of, of trying to live in comfort and follow Jesus. If they are following Jesus, they are being persecuted on a daily basis. Some of them to the point of death. Some of them are being thrown in the, in the gladiator arenas. But at a minimum, they are being ostracized and outcast for their belief that Jesus is who he says he is. And so that is the context that this letter is being written to. So, two things of context to carry with you as we walk through this passage this morning. Context of the original speaker, Jesus, and his Old Testament understanding. And context of the original hearer, which is the church in Rome. All right. All of that, and now we're in the passage. Chapter 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, we're going to start right off the bat. This context is important. Abomination of desolation. We don't know what that is. We we, we read that and, and we're like, man, what in the world is he talking about? 
Remember, he had just talked about, hey, you need to endure to the end, and he pauses, and then he shifts gears, and he talks about this abomination of desolation that's standing where it ought not to be. This is a direct reference to Daniel. Daniel had given a warning to the people of God that there was a a coming desolation that was going to take place in Israel. And he, as a good prophet, had given them warning and said that Israel had been judged and they had been found wanting. And because of that, there was going to be a judgment and a desolation that would come. Daniel 11.31, you can write that in your Bibles. It says this, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress. And they shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. It's the same wording. And so again, we have this gift of being able to look back and see how these things actually took place. There's many who interpret this as uh, when Antiochus Epiphanes came in 168 BC and he conquered Jerusalem. So this is about 200 years before when Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They conquered Jerusalem and they entered the temple and they set up a statue to Zeus and sacrificed a pig on the altar. That is an abomination to a holy God. And it's a desolation because Jerusalem was captured and taken prisoners. And Jesus is referring back to that, but he's also saying, listen, remember that because it's going to happen again. He's using that Old Testament language, which the disciples would know, and would be able to remember that 200 years ago that actually took place in the temple. And he's saying, listen, that's going to happen again. I've judged the temple, I've judged the worship, and it is, it's hollow. It's external without the internal purity and righteousness that's required. And he's letting them know that it's going to happen again soon. Okay, if you, so on these bookends, we have this beginning with the abomination of desolation. He says, let the reader understand. And then in verse 30, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If you're just reading that without putting any of your layers that maybe you have from, from previous churches or, or theology classes or different things that would, that would want to help you to look through this from a, a second coming point of view, if you just read it like it's being written, to the disciples, out of Jesus' words, you would say, well, if he said it in their generation, then that sounds like that's going to happen soon. Sounds like that would happen before they die. It happens during their lifetime, and we know, because in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Because this is true, and because we have the facts of the truth of this, Jesus is warning his hearers and his disciples in particular to be ready. Be ready. Pay attention. Be on your guard. Stay awake, he says at the end of this chapter, and and that's kind of where the theme throughout all of these three Sundays is this idea of staying awake, of paying attention. He says, let the one, in verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. Listen, he's saying it's going to happen. 
And you're going to see the sign when the abomination of desolation comes into the temple. And we don't know because the temple was destroyed. So maybe there's record of when that happened. But he's telling his disciples, when you see that happen, you don't have time to do anything except go. You don't get to go up and take care of stuff in the house. If you're nursing or if you're pregnant, you don't get to gather all the stuff that you need. You just have to go. Because the judgment of God is coming on the temple. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. He's warning them. He's saying there's, there's going to be a sign that happens, and then you have to leave. And don't, don't believe these other people who would say, it's going to be okay. They would speak peace where there's not peace. Listen, because the Prince of Peace is the one who's actually coming to bring the judgment. So there's not going to be a Savior who saves them from the judgment because that Savior is coming to execute that judgment. And that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. All of this is, is difficult. It's heady. But what we're seeing is that we can trust what Jesus says because it takes place. It's true. And not only what he says is true, but the way that he says it is so true and so truly human. It's beautiful because he pulls aside Andrew and Peter and James and John and he says, listen, I hear what you're asking and I'm going to answer you and I'm going to warn you. Now, he's not warning them simply for, his, for their sake. He knows that if they leave, where are they going to go? They're going to be spread out throughout the world and they're going to take this gospel message with them. They're going to go Disperse from Jerusalem. And so more people will hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. More people will trust. And they'll be even able to say as they go, look, Jesus said this was going to happen. But you know what else he said? He said that he's coming again. He said that he came not to, not to be served, but to serve, to, make his, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Listen, we have all of this captured in the Gospel of Mark. This Jesus is better than anything that we could hope. It's better than the temple. His righteousness is better than your self-righteousness. Amen? Can we believe that? Anybody else with me? Because that's true for me. The righteousness of Christ is a better righteousness than anything I could produce. Even if I followed God's word perfectly, most of the time I would do it out out of a reason that would say, hey, look at me, I'm following God's word perfectly. And even today, that still happens. And yet God is merciful and kind. And he meets me in that place and he says, but my righteousness is sufficient for you, even in your false belief, even in your misguided belief. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. This is what we have. Jesus warns the disciples. He even says, this is this little quote in 14, let the reader understand. Listen, Mark knows that something is happening in the temple that the, the people in Rome, the Jews in Rome would hear and they would begin to understand and they're like, oh, that's happening. That's what, that's what he's talking about. And so that what Jesus is saying is true. 
And I can trust Him. And I can put my faith and my hope in Him. This second section, talking about the coming of the Son of Man, verses 24 through 27. This is beautiful biblical poetry of God's power being displayed. When you read Old Testament, you begin to see that some of the allusions, some of the metaphors are, are there. And it's not necessarily saying that the, the physical thing is happening, but it's pointing to this thing that's taking place in the spiritual realm. The prophets, in particular, say a lot of things that you're like, yeah, but the stars didn't really fall out of the sky because then they wouldn't be there anymore. So what, what's really taking place? It's this biblical poetry that's pointing to the power and majesty of the holy God. Let's read it together. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then we will send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This beautiful image of what this day of judgment is going to look like. We already talked about it. That judgment is going to come. And the beauty of that, that judgment happening is that it's going to send the church of God throughout the whole world as ministers of the gospel to preach that good news wherever they would go. To the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This biblical poetry, Jesus is borrowing these illustrations straight out of the Old Testament. Isaiah 13.10 says this, for the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. You see that. The sun will be darkened in verse 24 and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Jesus knows his Old Testament. He's saying, listen, this thing is coming. And it's, this is what it's going to look like and this is what it's going to feel like. And yet this coming of the judgment is, is taking the temple and saying, no, but I have a better judge. I have a better righteousness than anything that could be performed in the temple. I have the righteousness of Christ. When these Old Testament illustrations would be, would be used, they would be pointing to a change in government or a change in power. A change in rule. And Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, I am being established as the king who sits on the throne forever and ever. And that's good news. Why is that good news? Like if, if I couldn't do it before with this temple and all of these good practices and six or seven hundred laws that I had to follow, and if I followed all of them, I would still be found condemned, how is this good news that the righteous judge is sitting on the throne? Well, that's good news because the same righteous judge who sits on the throne is the same righteous servant who went to the cross. The same judge is the one whose blood was poured out for you and I so that we could stand rightly before a holy God and say, not my works, don't look at me, look to Jesus. Because he says that he has bought me and paid for me. And so it's good news that this righteous King Jesus would sit on the throne. You want more of the poetry? And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power, send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Isaiah 34, 4, 
all the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree. This host of heaven, the angels in the clouds, all of this is pointing to this powerful display of Jesus coming, sitting on the throne. He's going to rule and to reign. Finally, Daniel 7, 13, and 14, and it's worth writing that down because later on this week it might be something that you look back at. Daniel verse, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What we have today is we have this beautiful picture of Jesus. We've been given so much of Jesus' servant, constantly reminding the disciples of what it looks like in the kingdom that the greatest would, would serve, that he would lay down his life as a ransom. But we also have this equally true, simultaneously true, and we, we can't put that in our minds, we can't grasp it, but even as he serves, he also reigns. He is the king. That all dominion and glory and kingdoms shall be given to him. That all peoples would be his. So today, if you see Jesus as the servant who paid the ransom for you, praise God. But you also need to see him as the king whose life you have is now his. It's not yours anymore. If he's the king and all dominion and power and rulers and peoples are his, that means all of us belong to him if we are in Christ. He has purchased us. He gets to dictate how we would live, how we would execute his plan for all of the nations to hear of him and to praise him and to give glory to him. Appreciate Pastor Jeremiah pointing this out and. Daniel, he says, just like in the Olivet Discourse, the Son of Man comes in the clouds. You see it in Daniel verse 13. But note that the destination isn't earth, but heaven. This isn't talking about when Jesus would come again back to earth. He's saying, listen, this is the ascension where Jesus goes and takes his place at the right hand of the Father in heaven and rules. We think that when he comes and he rules on earth in a new heaven and new earth, that'll be more real than what he's doing right now. It does not. It is not more real. He is the king today. He is sovereign and in control today. If you're in the middle of circumstances where you're like, man, where are you, God? He is king today. Take that. Lean on it. Hope in it. Trust in it. By the power of the Spirit, have great faith in it. Because that's what we need to hear. We need to know that not only is he righteous and good, but he's in control. Circumstances might be where you're just questioning that. Maybe your job, maybe there's, there's things that are going on in your life, death. Maybe there's friends that have left you. Whatever it is, you need to know that God is still God. 
that he still sits on the throne. And we know it because Jesus said it and his words are true. And then we have this physical evidence that points to, yeah, that's what he said would happen too. The the temple would be destroyed and it happened just like he said. So it's got to be true what he's saying. In verse 14, it's talking about a description of a transition of power. Jerusalem and the temple are no longer the seat nor the throne. Neither are the systems and authorities previously known in the city the new way of the new dominion. When Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed, Jesus, the Son of Man, takes up his power and glory in heaven and moves swiftly to bring about his ultimate kingdom purpose. That temple that once housed the Spirit of God, the manifest presence of God, is now us. Like that's, that's got to begin to kind of shake us up a little. Used to be that you could go to a place and, and in that moment you were communing with God. But now you don't go to a place. Wherever you are, if you are in Christ, you're communing with God. Man, that's beautiful. It's also convicting because I take Christ to some places that I probably shouldn't take Him. Right? So what needs to change? Where I'm going? I need to know, God, you are with me. Thank you for being with me. I want to go where you would lead me, not where I would lead you, not where I would take you. You are, you are sovereign. You are the ruler. I am the subject. I get to go where you go and get all the benefits of being with you all the time. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one moment with you than any, anything else I could imagine. You see, this is the good news. The king is on his throne. And, and not only is he on his throne, but he's sending us to proclaim that good news. We get sent. Finally, Jesus wraps this, this section with a lesson of the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Talking about that, that one who would come and destroy the temple. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The the temple was destroyed. It happened just like Jesus said it would. But our hope was never in that temple. Even even the Israelites and, and the building of the temple, their hope wasn't in the temple, but in the God who ruled and reigned in the temple. And he didn't pass away. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. But the words of God will not pass away. What do we call Jesus? What does John call Jesus in the beginning of his gospel? The word. The word will not pass away. Jesus will reign forever. This earth and this heaven, they're going to pass away. But Jesus will remain forever and ever. He is our hope. He is the one that we trust in. He's the king that we want. Even when we don't want a king, he's the one we want. And we have him. That's the good news that we have today. And he warns the disciples and says, listen, this thing's going to happen. He had already warned them in Mark 9.1. He said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. The king sitting on the throne. This is what we need. This is what we hope for. So what is our response? Like, Joel, that's good, man. But like, what does that mean for me? 
And the same thing it meant for them. That our hope is in Jesus. That circumstances are going to happen. That there's going to be judgment. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be desolation and destruction. But we have a king who reigns forever. And we've been warned. And so one of the application pieces is like, this isn't the only warning in Scripture. There's a lot of warnings in Scripture. Most of them point to our our own hearts and the sin that we find there. And so what we need to do is we need to repent for not heeding God's warnings. That's what we take away. We say, God, you're, you're true. What you say is true. Help me to believe it and to walk in light of that truth. We need to repent for the sin in our life. The sin that would lead whatever happened with this abomination of desolation is the same sin that we have in our lives. And we need to repent of those things. And we need to say, God, help me to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help me to trust in you, to to flee from sin, to walk in your righteousness that you purchased for me. To your glory. Not not so that people would be like, man, look at Joel, he's so righteous. No, A, nobody's ever going to say that. B, if they do, I get to point to, but, but I'm not. I'm not. If you see any good in me, it's Jesus. And thankfully, my neighbor's here, and she can tell you that she hears a lot of unrighteousness coming out of our house all the time. And usually it's in my voice. And so I'm thankful for that, that, that we can come and we can say, listen, don't walk the way I walk, but follow me as I follow Christ. Look to him. He's the one that we need. Repent of not heeding warnings. Repent of your sin. And then we need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus is the king seated on high and currently reigning. And that if he is, if he's transforming and changing us, which he promises if we are in Christ, that's what he's doing. Then we need to trust that to be true and we need to, to actively participate in it. And today we need to believe that to be true. And then as we see it happening, which I'm sure that uh, the disciples are seeing the destruction of the temple and they're they're, they're distraught, they're afraid, they realize the, the damage that's being re- wrecked on the temple, but at the same time, they're saying, but Jesus said this would happen. And there's so many other things that he said that I can trust to be true. He said that he was going to the cross to make a way where I could not make a way. He said that he came to, not to serve, but to be served. Uh, but to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I am one of that many. And so we get to believe with great joy today that what Jesus says is true, that he is reigning, that he is good, he's in control, and trust him. Amen? Amen? Amen. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for a, a hard word that takes a lot of... Uh, a lot of wrestling. I thank you that even today we don't have the, the right perfect interpretation. God, but we do see you. We hear you. We know you. We see the way that you love your disciples. We see the, the way that you judge sin and execute that judgment, Lord. And so we just rejoice. God, and we pray that we would believe, that we would trust and hope and have faith in you. God, would you make us into a people that would walk by faith and not by sight? Would you make us into a people that live differently 
Not because of something that we're, we're trying to do, but because of something that you're doing through the power of your spirit to the praise of your glory. God, I thank you for a confidence that we can have today that we pray these things and they're, they're in alignment with your word. And that because of that, they're going to happen. Lord, thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.